Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. This week on the show, we have Steve Gravinia the physio at the West Coast Eagles and has been for the last uh, eight years. Prior to working in the AFL, Steve worked in a clinic called Body Logic as a physiotherapist. And before we start episode 68, the Prepare Like a Pro podcast mission is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram and subscribing to the podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Really looking forward to this chat with Steve. I was lucky enough to meet him uh, while West Coast were doing some training in Melbourne, and uh, I got a real sense for his passion, both in uh, physio, but also the strength and conditioning side. And we had some great discussions around gymnastics and some of the philosophies that he has. So tune in, guys. If you've got any questions, send them through in the chat box. And um, we've got Troy, our Academy member as well, jumping on in about half an hour or so to ask a couple of questions as well. So here we go. How are we going, Steve? Thanks G'day, for Jack. On, Thanks for having me, mate. Well, um, we'll dive right into the beginning of your career. Um, at what age did you discover you had a passion for, for being a physiotherapist? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I grew up in, in Melbourne um, and like most kids in, in suburban Melbourne, had a passion for, for sport as a kid playing typical sort of footy, cricket, basketball um, type team sports, um, went, through, went through school and then into uni and, and studied exercise science and uh, probably got about halfway through that sort of degree and, and realised that it wasn't going to land me a, uh, a direct job and it was a little bit before the time of the exercise physiologist occupation was around. So looked into physiotherapy. Um, I found out you could you could basically do a master's of physio in two years, but Melbourne was the only city that that didn't offer it. Um, oh, so I, yeah, I applied around the country, yeah. and and Perth was uh, was the uni that I got into over at Curtin. So um, packed up my bags as a twenty year old and, and headed west. Okay. Um, did the degree, and yeah, got got a lot out of it. And always just thought Perth was going to be a uh, a two year stopover, and then get back to Melbourne, which uh, is where I went. Um, Came back home and, and, and started a couple of jo- couple of jobs as a, as a graduate physio. Um, I was lucky enough to work under uh, Bruce Connor at uh, oh, at, at Windy Hill. I think you might have had him on the uh, on the show early days. Yeah, I know I know Brucey well. Yeah, so I had a really really fun and um, enlightening year under him. Uh, but at that time, I actually yeah got to the point where I, I realised um, the grass was a bit greener over in Perth for me and. Uh, the old story of meeting the girl uh, when you go yep. away. So I uh, met my uh, now wife when I was uh, when I was studying, and we decided to to make a life for us in Perth. So uh, came back over here, um, and oh, then basically, was, yeah, I did, I did, and then uh, and then started the I guess the climb to the ranks, and was involved in private practice physio and uh, amateur football, then into the the WA Footy League system over here. Um, was the state under 18s and 16s physio for a few years. And yep. then uh, an opportunity came up at West Coast, and and uh, yeah, eight years later, here we are. It all worked out very well. Yeah, well yeah, definitely. Awesome, Been mate. Um, yeah. So, so you went, so you did your you did your masters in Perth, and you sort of got a taste of the lifestyle there, uh, and and met your now wife. And then, how long did you come back to Melbourne and, and work with Bruce? And and how did you make that connection, with Bruce? For the, for um, developing sort of physios that are tuning in, um, yeah, wanting wanting to work up the ranks. Yeah, well, I mean, sport was my, always my passion and, and sports physio was the direction I thought I'd always want to go. Um, yeah. About halfway through the degree over in here in Perth, I, I knew I wanted to go home to Melbourne. Um, I'd actually done a, a little prac at, at West Coast and so made some connections with the physios there. Um, and when I decided I wanted to, go, wanted to go home, I basically reached out to those guys and they gave me the list of every physio in the AFL and all their email addresses. So I basically yeah, yeah. I emailed every club um, to try and get a, a gig somewhere. Um, and, I mean, obviously not many clubs want to take on a new grad, but uh, Bruce had his, uh, had his clinic on the side and um, was willing to, uh, to take me on. And, 
Yeah, so I worked worked there for a year and I also worked with um, some guys who were at the Saints at the time as well down in Cheltenham, um, which was close to where I grew up in Sandringham. So I was based out there. Um, but it was about a year or so and yeah, then made the, the decision to come back to Perth. And the, the connection with the Saints guys was uh, originated from that email, the cold email? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was really, really fortunate that a few people reached, that sort of responded in the way that they did and, and um, were able to, to help me out. Um, yeah. So yeah, I yeah, guess for, for any young for any young physios, it's it's uh, it's expose yourself as much as you can um, through the junior ranks, and then just throw a few lines out there. And you never know which ones will stick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that it's a great lesson right there to um to like you said, put yourself out there. And um, what what do you think you would have done if you got absolutely zero back? Um, yeah, I had that I had that in mind as well. I was coming back. I was playing footy as well at the time, so I I, I was coming back to play have a have another crack in the VFL back at Sandringham okay. um, and the, the physio clinic that looked after the, the Sandy Footy Club at the time, um, I, uh, I knew, knew a few guys in there. So that was my sort of plan B if yep. things didn't work out. Um, yep. But, yeah, I mean, I think it, it was always just get involved with, with, with a group that has exposure to, to team sports, that, which was sort of my background. Um, and I guess I, I thought at the time that my point of difference would have been that I've, I've played a bit of footy so I can understand what the guys are going through and um, as a keen sort of new grad physio can sort of bring something to the table. Absolutely. And, and so, okay, so you played football at a high level. Um, what, why did you choose not to go down the coaching route? You mentioned the exercise science. Uh, so why physio? What, why was that something that you wanted to pursue, particularly going to Perth, you know, the other side of the country? Obviously, it was something you were, you were keen on. Um, so how did you come about making that decision? Yeah, in the, uh, the, the degree that I did in exercise science, that tended to be a, like a fairly generic um, course at the time and it was I sort of liken it to like an arts degree for sporty people, right, That's where a few directions. Yeah, so there were a few directions you could have gone. Um, yeah. And yeah. I was playing footy at the time. Um, like most footballers, you have a few injuries and the, the interactions I had with physios at the time always sort of rated them as, as pretty good people and um, it looked like a pretty, a pretty good environment to be in. I mean, you get to work in, in the area that you, that you love and, and help people sort of get back to achieving their goals. So it was always something I thought um, I'd like to do. And then when, yeah, when, I, when I, I saw that it could be done in, in a couple of years after my degree, um, I weighed up whether I'd stay in Melbourne and, and just take on the conventional physio degree, which would have been another four. but thought I'd uh, yeah, take on a bit of a challenge and head over to WA. Yeah. And what did you have? You mentioned you, you, um, you wanted to get back to your partner, um, so that was your priority, but, but what did you have lined up um, in Perth at the time or did, you, or did you build everything back up from, from ground zero when you went there? Yeah, I had to start from scratch because, yeah, honestly, I didn't think I was coming back to Perth. Um, so I reached out to a couple of old um, uni mates and – who were already working back in Perth, um, and I basically wanted to get back involved in, in footy in Perth. So I basically got in touch with a lot of the waffle um, sort of waffle clubs that had had attached physios to them, um, and there was a sort of a, a, a bigger group physiotherapy life care, which I think is over in, in still in Melbourne. Um, life care had a had a few uh, waffle clubs that they were involved with, and there just happened to be a role at um, at one of the, the clinics over there uh, that were attached to the Claremont Footy Club. And they had a role with the under eighteen team, so yeah. uh, went through the process with that and, and had that lined up by the time I, I moved back. So sort of fell into a, a good spot there, and from that position at, at the Waffle Colts level over here, as, as it's called, um, I got some exposure with the state programs because Claremont was quite successful at the time. They won a few flags when I was involved with them, um, awesome. so we we had quite a few boys go onto the state eighteens program and then get drafted. Um, so there were opportunities that were that came up with the state eighteens program, um, and got involved there. And then a role came up there, so I jumped across and got more heavily involved with that. Mm-hmm. And then when the the West Coast role came up, um, I was quite fortunate that at the time they were they'd had a, a sort of a recent history of drafting kids from WA. So there were nine or ten um, young players at West Coast that I'd actually had a fair bit to do with. Yeah, um, okay. At yep. Claremont and with the 18. So it, it sort of made the transition quite quite easy that I had a bit of a relationship with a third of the group straight away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it was sort of a bit fortuitous to keep going upwards in those stepping stones. 
Yeah, yeah, you, you definitely did a good job of, of creating plenty of opportunity for yourself. Um, yeah. It sounded like it was, you know, decisions you made, almost gut feelings and through your connections, but it um, was obviously playing high-level football and you knew your passion in the game. That's why you, you decided to do the Masters. So you had a vision to get in AFL, like, all the, all the way through when you decided to do your Masters or did that just sort of eventuate as you got your progressions and got closer to it? Um, I always thought... I mean, that's the pinnacle of, of working in, in, in sport is to get to the sort of the highest level and have some exposure there. Yeah. Um, I was very conscious, though, not to rush into it and to get um, experience at the lower levels where you had a bit of autonomy um, and you could actually make some calls and, and develop your skills. So working from amateur footy into the waffle program um, and then with the 18s program, I, I got a pretty good grounding where I was able to sort of run the whole program as the, sort of the lead medical provider. And in a few of those years, because a lot of the, the sort of semi-elite programs that were under-resourced, I actually had roles in strength conditioning as well. So I got a yep. pretty wide exposure there. Um, and on top of that, because you're a bit of a one-man band, you're dealing with coaches, you're dealing with parents, you're dealing with doctors. Um, and yeah, your communication skills, your ability to um, deal with players, to deal with people's um, injuries and their sort of their letdowns in life, and 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 also their ability to uh, to get back and achieve goals. That that was um, yeah invaluable. So then, when I got the opportunity at West Coast, I felt like I'd had a, a fairly good grounding in that sort of decision making process. Yeah, yeah, that's so. There's there's a couple of points there for for a physio that's sort of listening in and be like, oh, how good is this? And they've probably got their notebook out and they're writing down some things. So it sounds like to, um, building strong relationships with people is important for you to get opportunity. And then when you got your opportunity, um, you didn't get too ahead of yourself. You focused on making sure you did a really good job uh, in that role and and made yourself really um, useful at the club, whether it be doing S&C stuff, building relationships with coaches, like you mentioned, parents even. Um was that something that came naturally to you or did a mentor say, look, if you want to get to the top, this is this is the way you need to go. You need to be, go above and beyond or um, sort of your mind. Yeah, actually, I, I remember a interview, uh, an old podcast sort of quite a few years ago with Jeff Boyle, who was the sort of long-term uh, Fremantle head, head physio. So he was there yep. from the get-go in 95, I think, and just finished up at the end of, at the end of last year. Um, and he made a really in- interesting point about um, – when you are developing as a sports physio, before you get to that professional level, work at that at that junior level or semi-elite level, make all your mistakes there, test the boundaries, mm-hmm. get your exposure of knowing how far you can push someone, what's not enough, make your mistakes. And so then you've got a pretty good um, understanding and, and battery of sort of options when you get to the next level. And so, yeah, when I was at um, working with the Claremont, the, the Colt, it's obviously still high-level footy, but... You've got your ability to, to experiment a little bit with, say, a hammy rehab program. Um, and because you're doing that, you're a bit of a one-man man show doing the, the S&C, the sports science, the physio, talking to the coaches. You've got a fair bit of autonomy with how you want to set that program up. Yeah. Um, and you've got really good autonomy around what they're doing on the field, what they're doing in the gym, what they're doing at home, what they're doing with, with their school, what they're doing with other activities outside of footy. Um and have that sort of total player management background before you get to that elite level, um, yeah, has proved to be really valuable. Yeah. And do you think, so because you had that experience and that development, was your transition as you hoped? It was, you felt more comfortable? You had, you had, like you said, you knew a third of the club. Do you feel like that set you up for success a couple of years? Yeah, I think so. A, I think had a good stint at it. Yeah, I think, I think it makes you a bit of a jack-of-all-trades and, and sort of had a bit of experience in a lot of different things. Um, you get to that higher level and, and now the industry has turned to becoming fairly specialised. Um, I mean, pre-COVID, you, our high performance department had up to sort of 14 full-time people um, where you've got two or three guys in sports science, three or four in strength conditioning, three full-time physios, a couple of part-time docs, podiatry, hand therapy, um, medical admin services. And so I obviously was nowhere near the level of any of them, but I could probably carry a conversation with all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'd done a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, and then you come in as a as I was the junior physio of the three-man physio team and um, you don't have a hell of a lot of responsibility with dealing with a head coach, but um, 
you're in a position where you can start to make decisions based on all the interactions you're having with all the other staff um, and growing from there into that role. Yeah, and, and football is very much a place where if there's an opportunity there and someone puts their hands up, you can sort of build build a role and and um, and get used in, in areas that aren't classic for what the degree teaches you. Yep. Um, did you find because you played the game, you understand from the player's point of view, you've been exposed at, at other areas um, during that development phase like you mentioned, did you do things potentially outside of what a classic physio would do if they only had degree experience? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I was getting involved in training um, and being an extra number, um, designing rehab programs around a player's specific role and having that knowledge of what you need to be able to do at a stoppage um, wow. if you're coming back from a shoulder injury, um, all of those sorts of things, your ability to um, see the game one, two, three steps ahead of, of what's happening at, at this um, particular moment. So designing rehab programs around that is um, a real critical one, but also being involved with the playing group as a training extra where they'd normally have the coaches running around there as well, I think um, gives you a better appreciation of, of um the direction the game's going because I obviously never played footy at the, that highest level and was never anywhere near that space. But it's a very different game to the sort of um, footy that I'd come from. So learning the demands of the game um, through a bit of exposure at a limited degree was, uh, yeah, really beneficial. And what about from a relationship point of view? Do you think that helped accelerate your connections with the with the players? Um, yeah, you, you get, always get a bit of street cred if you hit a target or something like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you got to be kept pretty careful not to... Uh, not to run into too many people and, and you don't want the physio injuring people either. So yeah, tiptoe around a few things. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was good. You can uh, you definitely develop relationships through experience. And um, another one of the, like the, the, that Jeff Boyle podcast that I, that I remember he said, it was talking about making sure you walk the walk. So if you're prescribing something, whether it's in the gym or out on the field, make sure you can do it or you've had exposure to it before. So, again, jumping into the gym with the boys um, and actually being able to have an appreciation of what they're doing. Obviously, you're never going to lift <clears throat> as much or as, as fast as them, but just to show them that you sort of know what you're talking about with what, what, what you're going to prescribe, it definitely enhances the relationship between the, the two of you. Yeah. Have you, have you run into Jeff Boyle? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I actually haven't uh, mentioned this, though. I ran into him... Um, when the Cats beat us by 100 points a few weeks ago down there and uh, first time he's beaten West Coast in 20 years. So uh, he was up and about. But I need to, um, yeah, I do need to uh, give him the credit for inspiring me at the time. Yeah. Well, can you remember the podcast? What, who was it, it was a, um, yeah, it was a Physio Edge podcast from memory. Okay. And it was, yeah. uh, I reckon I was, a, yeah, it must have been young grad physio. So it would have been a sort of late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll try and do a bit of bit of research see if yeah. i can find it i'll yep. check it in the, the show notes get a yeah, read yeah. definitely i'll see if i can yeah. track it down for you yeah that'd be great um other mentors or influences that help shape your, your career you sound like you're pretty self-driven but you know, um yeah absolutely um from a physio point of view uh when i came back over here <clears throat> um a couple of years into my my career I, I i got the opportunity to work at body logic physiotherapy um and the um owner of that clinic is peter o'sullivan who is quite well regarded in the um, management of sort of low back pain and, and chronic pain. Um, very, very well researched um, around around the world, really, um, and sort of been one of the pioneers around the biopsychosocial approach to sort of pain management. So oh, yeah. not just looking at the injury, but looking at the person and the context around their issue. So, um, yeah, they've they've tweak their their back or their knee or their hip but having understanding of of the social context around that and their psychological state at the time um mm. how much stress are they under what's going on at home are they in a contractual debate at the moment and, and under the pump yeah. in that space um what's their um background in terms of um their belief system around around back pain maybe their dad's had a dodgy disc and has been telling him since he was a kid that his back's cooked and you shouldn't be bending over and all of those things feed in to mm. to the situation. So just taking a step back and appreciating the person, the situation, the environment, not just the injury, that was a big learning lesson for me. Um, 
under Pete, and that's something I've been able to sort of carry through. In the sporting world, we get very biomedically focused, I think, when we just look at a scan and look at a, an injury and think, oh, it's a hammy, that's three weeks. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of – there's bigger fish around there as well to, to take a look at um, and just not forgetting that. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So in, in the clinic, you potentially or usually you'll have a bit more time than you do with the athletes in elite sport. How did you go about transferring that, you know, thorough interview process and getting that sort of information? Did you just sort of condense your your amount of questions or is it hallway conversations? Yeah, yeah, it is is hard. It is hard. Um, It's quite a unique environment though where you're you're practically with these guys full time. And although you might not get the one-on-one time in a room getting deep and meaningful with them, the amount of little chats that you do have with guys, you've got a pretty good idea of what's going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't, if there's a, if there's an issue going on, we're quite at the club, we're quite collaborative with, um, if it's not obviously too personal or confidential, um, we're able to get some information from, say, a development coach um, <clears throat> or the SSC guys or if anyone else has had any interactions with the guys, um, if there's something going on, we're generally um, able to get a bit more info and, and get a bit more context around it. Um, yep. But again, yeah, if if there's an issue, an issue, and sometimes it just doesn't doesn't fit, we've got the capacity to yeah to get them into a sort of a more of a private setting and have a have a deeper conversation if we if we need to. And for those tuning in that um, are not confused, but they they're trying to look for answers around what you mean by it's not just simply a physical thing. There's a, there's a mental lifestyle and uh, the psychosocial element that you talked about. Um, yeah. T- take us through, I guess, in layman's terms, on on what you mean by that, and and how and how holistic it sort of can be when an injury occurs. Yeah, so I mean, there's an injury which will occur at the tissue level. Um, and sometimes it, it, it doesn't, but just yeah, if we can imagine an injury has occurred at a tissue level, say a sprained ankle. Yeah. Um, the 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 ligament that will be damaged has got um, pain fibers that will shoot a message up to the spinal cord, which will get up to the brain and then you're basically in that um, cortex level making sense of the information that's coming to you. So it's not just I've sprained my ankle. It's basically I'm getting information from that ankle and then it's all, then it's chucking it into a melting pot of um, prior experiences, beliefs, social context, and then it comes to an, ant- an answer and goes, oh, okay, well, that's just a sprained ankle. And it goes down, and that'll that'll start the inflammatory process. Sometimes, though, you might find that your whole body is, um, if you use the analogy of an amplifier turned right up, mm. that can be that you're already in a state of high stress. So yep. you might have had an average night's sleep last night. You might have had a fight with your wife, um, and you are at a state where your tolerance to pain might be well down. Your reaction to pain might go right up. So. What might be a minor injury could be amplified significantly by the state that your body is in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are able to dampen all of that and get to the crux of what else is going on around your life, um, you might be able to get on top of a lot of the the background noise around that that pain issue. Obviously, there's a, there's probably a tissue pathology thing going on which needs healing, and we need to respect that and re- and recondition it appropriately. But if there's other things going on in someone's someone's life. Um, it's really important to address that because if you don't, then it can become a, a vicious cycle and turn into either a, a chronic sort of pain issue or a recurrent issue um, or something that yeah, it's likely to creep up again in your life down the track. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much for that explanation. That's, um, yeah, love that. But, um, with In your experience, um, when dealing with uh, players that maybe are around 25 years plus, um, how much... How much is the psychosocial uh, something you're aware of when you're, when you're working with an athlete that's just broken down with an injury? Um, yeah, it's significant. Um, I've been, um, I mean, I'm, I'm 36 with a couple of young kids and I've been um, fortunate to, to have my last sort of five or six years with a lot of guys that have had kids around the same time of, the, yeah. of, play, of players. Um, we've got a bit of an older list, so we've got quite a lot of young young dads at the club. So I can really empathise what they're going through. Like some guys aren't sleeping for weeks with young kids, and without doubt, that impacts their physiology, their psychology, their readiness to train, their risk of injury. Um, 
and a lot of the time, if yeah, an injury or a recurrent injury does occur, you, you, you dig a little deeper in what's going on in the background um, and there's some things, there's currently things at play. Yeah, and then on the flip side, if there was a player that you just have such confidence that this injury would normally be a two-weeker, but this guy has put his hand up to play, he's committed to play, and medical team, like, he's got a proven record that he, when he puts his hand up, he gets a pretty good result. How, how much do you back the clinical side and, and then how much do you give the player a bit of ownership on? Uh, yeah, the more, I mean, the more I've, the longer I've been in this industry, the more I value the, the senior player's opinion. I've, yeah. I've learned to, to know, they know their bodies pretty well. Um, guys that have shown to be able to play under duress, play with uh, certain pathology, um, if they feel confident and if they've proved to themselves that they can perform, um, they're generally uh, up for it and you're willing to back them in. There's obviously a um, an acknowledgement of risk, right? Yeah. So, and you've got to put all that on the table. <clears throat> but if you don't, I think you always have to you always have to put the players. Um, opinion and thoughts at, at the forefront when you're making a decision. And so it's not just the doc and the physio making the call. You need their input because you're going to get a lot more buy-in. If you back them in, um, they'll be more open and honest with you as well. Yeah, yeah awesome. Okay. And on the flip side as well, on, on the flip side as well like, um, a couple of nights ago we had a, we had a Monday night game and yeah, we had a guy that um, said, no, nah, I don't think I've got a little, little hammy and I don't, I, don't think I, can, I don't think I can go. Um, we could test him, and he was actually pretty good. But he in himself said, oh, "No, nah, this won't, this won't survive." So yeah. we we backed him in. Yeah, yeah. So backed him, him in is, and you gave him a little bit of extra time because he didn't feel ready, sort of thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So that's um. Yeah. So there's a fair bit of uh, two way conversation going on throughout the return to play process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then on the flip side for for the developing footballers listening, um, uh. How do they go about making that decision and and having that discussion with their physio at the footy club? Uh, if they're if they disagree with the physio and they're hearing this and they're thinking, oh well, at the AFL level, they've got to uh, you know they listen to their players. Um, what is the best way for for players to to communicate to the medical team? Um, and how would you how would you advise like players to if the if medical practitioner said it's our duty of care we look at we, we need we think you need an extra week um, how do you think they should respond to that as well yeah yeah it's really interesting and really important i think i think it's really important for a, a player of any age especially a young younger player to be inquisitive um and to actually take genuine interest yeah. um and to ask as many questions as possible and get clarity in their own mind because a lot of the time you hear of players walk out of the doc's room or the physio's office and Someone will say, well, how'd you go? What'd they say? And you're like, oh, yeah, I don't know. That'll set them out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having clarity for yourself because you're going to get bombarded with tons of questions from your parents and your mates and your manager and whoever else about what's going on. Um, take a real active approach to it. Uh, make sure you know exactly what's going on, um, why the medical team is advising one way or the other based on what, what evidence have they got for it, What's the relative risk of going the other way? Um, what's the potential longer-term health consequences? Um, what's my chance of getting through? But also, what's my chance of performing? And they're very—they're two very different questions. Yeah, I might be able to get through this game. I've, I've got a tight quaddy, but yeah. am I going to be able to perform to my optimal? And am I going to be—am I going to be compromising the team's outcome as well? Yep. If I go in there, I can be the brave soldier who puts his hand up, but there's no point if I last half a game or if I don't get a kick because I can't run around. So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a, a fair bit to it. Um, yeah, but absolutely. open and honest conversation and having real clarity on on what's going on, I think makes makes for a, a better relationship between um, the staff and and the players. Yeah, and and ultimately, it um, it sounds like that that the best approach is is an informed. Um, approach where everyone uh, is is being open and honest and addressing what their beliefs are and and backing it up with with reasons um, and then coming to a collective decision at the end of the day that yep. um, not not everyone agrees but um, they can understand why the decision is is yeah absolutely um, and, what about yeah yeah you go mate and I was, oh and I was just going to say and and a lot of the time that's not necessarily just face to face dialogue like some people might need a diagram some people might need 
a video demo, people learn differently and understand things differently at different levels. Um, so that's the benefit of working so intimately with these guys. You actually start to understand them at the, the personal level. So you see how well they receive um, information and feedback and, and through what form and what media. So that's also yep. a, a benefit. And that, that, I guess, ties in with what you were talking about before. Like you may have communicated very clearly to the player, um, but because it was all audio and, uh, and it wasn't kinesthetic or it wasn't visual, they, you weren't speaking their language. So they walk away from that meeting. You feel like you did a good job, but actually they, it just all went, all they yep. know is they're not playing like you said. Yep, absolutely. So the art of communication, which is something that popped up earlier, you talked about it with dealing with coaches and players and getting that experience early days, you, you build that. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Doubt. Love it, mate. Um, what about challenges in your career that um, when you look back at them that were massive growth periods for, for you as a practitioner? Um, yeah, the, a few challenges along the way. Um, I got to a point, um, I'd, done a, I'd done a master's in, in sports physio. Um, I'd done a fair bit of sort of physiotherapy, sort of professional development, and I was getting to a point where I was feeling as though I, I needed to sort of become a bit more well-rounded in different areas. Um, and so I went along to a workshop um, by uh, Edo Portal, who yep. um, is sort of which reached sort of notoriety around the world um, with his sort of movement practice um, work and done a lot of work with sort of MMA guys and Conor McGregor and all those kind of guys. Um, I did a couple of workshops with him sort of 2012, 2013 and 14, and he really opened my eyes to sort of a greater sort of world around sort of the movement culture and movement space and physical culture, um, which just taught me to um, not be so insular in, in, in just physiotherapy profession and, and football and start to look out to other other sports, other practices, um, other cultures and, and see how much you can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and, that, and I guess – making real-world examples on that, um, going into the gymnastic space for for um, strength and mobility work, going into the martial arts world, um, particularly things like Brazilian jiu-jitsu for um, awareness on the ground and comforting in sort of grappling and um, that sort of intimate contact of, of tackling on, uh, on, yeah, on the floor, um, some aerial... Um, acrobatic work about falling from heights, um, all of those sorts of things which have direct application to AFL football, which I had just no exposure or awareness of prior to that. Um, and so some of the great learnings that I've had in the past sort of 10 years has really been chatting, um, practising, involving myself in some of those worlds and, and, and taking some of that to the AFL world um, and experimenting and um seen some really good results. So that's been a, yeah, a really good outcome of, of a, sort of an earlier challenge. Yeah, and, and how did you – it's not something I've heard in the AFL ranks. Uh, uh, Edo Patel's name pop up uh, in my time, uh, which was only a short stint, but um, but certainly in working in CrossFit gyms and, um, and, and weightlifters and things like that, in the fitness industry, he, he's a big household name. Uh, how did you how did you come across it? Was it um, those in, in the clinical world or, or was it something that was going on at, West Coast, where um, practitioner. Yeah, no, no. It was basically I was at a physio course um, by a, a guy. His name was Bruce Rawson, who's over in Queensland. He mentioned the functional movement screen, which I'd I'd never heard of back when it was really early days in that space. So I started looking down that line, and and that sort of led me to looking and exposing myself to different areas in in the US and what was going on with the FMS guys and. Kelly Starrett, Gray yep. Cook, all of those guys in, in, in sort of different sort of movement disciplines. Um, and it was through that that I stumbled across this Eda Portal doing some really crazy hand balancing work and contorting his body. And oh, he's an impressive looked, human. Yeah, absolutely. I just thought he was a freak of nature, really. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then I saw he was coming to Perth and just had a bit of a deeper dive into it and, and just saw. Some, just something in it that um, we're all going through some some issues with a few sort of shoulder rehab programs. Um, just trying to find a few different options and opportunities, and I ended up yeah, going to the workshop and just seeing some of the um, 
high-level stuff that they were doing, but then showing us how you um, take a few steps back and go back to really basic activation and, and mobility drills to start preparing for that and then building back up. Um, mm. I saw some, yeah, some really good stuff in that area. Um, and then, yeah, took it to some of the, the, the later stage rehab work that we, that we were doing with some of our guys and um, started playing around on the, on the Olympic rings and with some handstand work and hand balancing and had great results. Um, and then from there, started looking at how we could implement it into the whole group. Um, and in a sort of a time-pressured industry that we're in, um, you've got to make sure you get some pretty good bang for your buck with what you're doing. So looking at some loaded mobility work that we were able to do um, off the back of some of that, those drills, we were able to put it into some of the sort of pre-season injury prevention programs for some subgroups and then ended up putting it in with the whole group and had some, um, yeah, really good buy-in. Yeah, okay. So, um yeah, there's a fair bit to unpack there. You, you uh, it takes courage to do things differently in the AFL um, and bring this in. So take us through. You, you convinced? Okay, this this feels pretty good on my body. I've tried it out. Uh, yeah, and it feels effective. I can see it's transferred to to the game. Um, how did you then sell it to the club and, and the medical um, team, high performance team, that this is something we're going to try with? And then from there, it sounds like you did it in the rehab space, got a good result, and then. Is it? Am I right in thinking that okay, if this works for these guys to get return to play, why isn't it part of our general philosophy for the, for yeah. the group? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I was um, I was a bit of the I was the freak show for a, about six months or so in the gym when people were looking at me asking me what I was doing. Um, You're it, the online program. It's pretty committed as well, like time wise. Yeah, yeah, I had a good crack at it, and it probably came at the at the time I was yeah, we were just just before having kids. So it came at the right time where I could actually commit a few hours a day to it. Um, and yeah, really, really enjoyed it and really enjoyed how it made sort of my body feel and the freedom that I had. I was never a flexible guy, but sort of the, the change that it made was, um, really significant. Um, and then, yeah, the first. that at the club? Sorry. Yeah, I was doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Doing it at the club. Yeah. Yeah. in rings or there was already some rings? Brought some rings in, brought in my own rings. Uh, I was trying to do it after hours, after hours. I'm not really one to put myself out there too much. But, um, yeah, a few people caught, caught the eye. Um, and then, yeah, implemented it with one or two rehabbers. And at the time, they were quite senior guys. Um, and they were a bit more open-minded than, I guess, your conventional um, run-of-the-mill footballer who wants to do bench and buys. Um, yeah. So they took to it. And, yeah, they were really, really blown away by the, the, the change it could make. Um, and then the carryover it had back to the conventional gym as well. Um, make them a little bit more robust with more more range of movement and a, and a bit stronger through range. Um, and so when the, a few senior guys start doing it and then people start noticing that as part of their general program, people become a bit more inquisitive. And from there, it just started to, to spiral. And then I had people coming to me asking to do, try out a few of these things and have to be pretty careful not just to let guys jump straight into some of the higher end things that they see on YouTube. Um, so we had to put a few things in place to make sure um, everyone started small and um, certain guys just are never going to be able to do it due to past injuries and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, we had a lot of guys doing just basic hanging work um, and building up building up from there and then some basic floor-based routines and um, spinal movements and um, hand balancing work. And, yeah, it's become a bit of a mainstay in the program now over the past sort of six or seven years. And um... – Six, seven years, that's amazing. So, yes, that stood the, stood the test of time. During that sort of six to seven years, have there been, have you sort of refined the methods to transfer it to more AFL appropriate? Like you mentioned some guys with shoulder issues um, or maybe wrist issues that, that don't partake, but what about the guys that do? Um, how is it different to what you see on, on YouTube, like you mentioned? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we do a lot of, um, we do a lot of, floor-based work in terms of crawl mobility crawls um rolling um some sort of rolling and tackle technique work um and obviously back in the day we do a little bit more sort of floor-based mobility and and stretching um whereas we found this is a bit of bit of both so you're getting a bit more bang for your buck in terms of efficiency a lot of the guys are all about getting in and out these days at the club so if you can if you can throw in a, a drill where they're crawling through range and you're actually getting some good hip mobility work as well as upper body weight-bearing proprio work all in the one exercise. Um, 
it's actually it transfers pretty well and that's become part of our sort of pre-training routine um and then some of the work in the in the gym space um around around the rings and being able to do some techniques on the rings and go through full range of movement into full loaded shoulder extension um using that as a sort of a selling point to 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 help enhance sort of shoulder extension through sprinting technique um and transfer it onto the field um has also been a, a good selling point so there's a few ways you can we can touch on it awesome mate yeah thanks thanks so much for sharing and um good on you for for thinking laterally and giving it a go yourself and then um yeah re- rehab and then getting a good result into the strength the main program um so yeah that's awesome awesome to hear um especially things done a little bit differently as well which is um yeah fascinating stuff we're gonna have a quick little drink break guys this is a short video about the academy and then um we've got one of our academy members troy jones who's a strength and conditioning coach that's pretty keen to uh, ask you a couple of questions steve so we have about two minutes to have a little break guys so stick around not long left hi i'm jack mclean an afl football strength and conditioning coach and i want to introduce you to the prepare like a pro academy Our Academy is a subscription-based platform where you can sign up to be a part of our community. If you get to the end of each episode of the podcast and are hungry for more, this is for you. Designed for aspiring AFL athletes and staff, you'll receive heaps of bonus weekly content. Learn who the guests are in advance and submit questions. Access to our Facebook group with Jack and other Prepare Like a Pro coaches. You'll be able to receive merchandise, program discounts and freebies and get free access to our live events, exercise technique database, and much more. This is a great way for you to support the podcast, and it helps me with production and release of epic content for you guys each week. Your contribution goes a long way in making Prepare Like a Pro community possible, and just for $5 a week, you'll have access to all of this special content released on our Academy forums. There's no lock-in, and you can cancel absolutely any time. Welcome back, guys. Uh, we're going to bring Troy Jones on now to ask Steve some questions. So welcome on, Troy. Thanks for, for joining us. I'll, I'll put you on the main floor. How you going? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Troy. Uh, of course, mate. Good to have you on. You asked uh, the guys the other night or last week some ripping questions, mate, so I think you'll, you'll take my job soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, never, never. I'll handball it over to you. All yours, Troy. Awesome. Hey, Steve, how are you? Good, thanks, Troy. Um, look, I believe you're also part of the ATG network. Um, that I'm I a am. Huge I am. Of, yeah, I've been. I'm um, following you and some of your posts on there that I've I've really sort of enjoyed. Um, so I'm aspiring to be a strength and conditioning coach in AFL. Um, I'm actually part of an affiliate club, the East Coast Eagles in Sydney, um, yep. and hoping hoping to work with them. Um, I was going to see if um, you've been able to incorporate any of the ATG principles with West Coast. I know you've sort of spoken about a lot of gymnastics and handstand work some load of mobility which i know keegs was doing um in his time with the roosters have you been able to implement much of the atg specific stuff with west coast in your time there yeah so i came across um i've sort of known sort of known of keegan for six or seven years with a lot of the yeah common interests that we had um and then exposed to sort of ben patrick's work um about 12 months ago um, and then, yeah, got in, got involved to sort of see what it was like from a um, personal point of view and, and went through the, the early sort of zero and dense programs and, and found it, um, yeah, really beneficial. Um, so started using it a little bit with the guys, particularly some lower limb rehab, rehab guys. Um, I really like the method of sort of from the ground up reconditioning. Um, so the things like the, the tibialis raises, is something which is really, um, really lost in a lot of the early stage rehab work in the in the physio and SNC world from what from what I've seen. Um, and so the anterior chain work that they do, I think, is really beneficial. Um, and on top of that, uh, the the strength through range, I guess, is the term which I would um, I'd be a big advocate for. So the way they do their, their split squats and get sort of full range of movement through hip, knee, ankle um in both directions is something that we've we've been involved with so yeah like oh we use routinely um their sort of tib raise work their uh their split squat work we do backward sleds work um for sort of concentric um conditioning of the quads um 
and I haven't put anyone through like the the structured programming, um, just through obviously uh, time demands and and competing interests around um, these guys and programs. But yeah, bought in to a lot of the work that they're doing. Yeah, no, that's um that's awesome. I know. So I've played for the last four years. I've been a big fan of Keegs, and um you know I've been implementing that stuff in in my own like sort of game and my training and. I've been fortunate enough to never miss a game in four years and I attribute a lot of it to, you know, Ben and Keegan and um, all the injury prevention stuff. So if I'm fortunate enough to work with the club, I'm really hoping to incorporate a lot of like what you've said, so building from the ground up, um, yep. developing like athletic range and um, yep. a lot of lower limb sort of work. Um, if I'm working with this club, for instance, you know, our guys aren't professional athletes, you know, they're not spending time in the gym and as much time on recovery. Um, do you have any advice for, you know, trying to get the best bang for your buck? So working with a big group who, you know, yep. they're working nine to five and, and just getting to training on time. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Some of these drills uh, could be used as, a, in, as part of the warm-up without doubt. Um, so some pre-training activation work um, through the lower limb um, is, a, is a really good option. Um, and then post-training body weight, um conditioning particularly hamstring strength work so some of the nordic work that they that they do um easily something you could you could all get the guys to just do some partner nordics helping um holding onto each other's ankles and um doing some reconditioning at the end of training um and then it's yeah then it becomes a bit about about the buy-in so what the culture's like around their gym and strength conditioning work outside of on-field training so if there is dedicated time for that working out how to implement um, some of that programming or if the guys are self-motivated enough to do it outside of training time in their own time then it's about programming when it's appropriate to do that so you might not be doing your heavy nordics on a friday night before a game but um it's just using your ssc principles to work out when and how but yeah, there's certain certainly opportunities to uh, incorporate it into the into the programming yeah no that's awesome that's um really helpful in terms of so i know um you know we're a really good club there's um a lot of positives but we don't have um any like training facilities in terms of a gym um i know they're in the midst of trying to sort of tee up a partnership with local gyms if we had a really minimal budget what do you reckon or what would you recommend as some of the key sort of equipment to include um yeah it's a good question i think um i mean a lot of the from for, in my opinion for for that level of um of football from an upper body point of view the work that i've i've seen in the in the gymnastics world apart from a chin-up bar and a set of rings you can scale um upper body strength um to any level you like really so um i I can appreciate that you're not pushing pushing the heavy weights on the bench or with dumbbells but if you're getting guys building up to um one arm strength work in in pushing i think that that suffice um in the football world um and and with the pulling base work as well like building up towards sort of one arm chin kind of work as well um so i don't think you need too many um uh yeah too much of an, an equipment arsenal for upper body and from lower body i think i still think the barbell's probably king and so um if you've got barbell or an ability to have a squat rack i think from there you've, you've got lots of things if not even any kind of, of weighted work like a kettlebell becomes very multi-purpose in that space. Um, from a hamstring conditioning point of view, I think yeah, the Nordic exercise where you've got partners is, is equipment-free. Um, uh, hip extension, glute ham raise, those kind of things are a nice adjunct as well. But again, not insurmountable. If you've got a, um, a bench or if you've got a, uh, a fit ball and you've got someone to hold onto their legs, you've got those apparatus as well to, to, to work through those options. So I think you can do it minimally if you need to. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I think the, in an ideal world, there is an ability to do a squat rack and be able to rack some heavy weight. Um, but if not, you've, yeah, there's plenty of options. Yeah, no, that's um, that's awesome. To sort of continue with that one, again, focusing on not having quite a big budget um, for strength and conditioning at the moment, um, do you have any, like, recovery protocols that you'd really recommend for, like, post-training, post-game the next day? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think sleep is king. Uh, so if you've, if you've got nothing else, just make sure they're getting home and getting into a well-rested state um, uh, and getting the best sleep possible. Um, outside of that, um, 
I mean, nutrition is probably number two. So education around around their eating habits and choices, um, pre post training, um, whether they're periodizing their their carb intake on low training days, things like that. I think that's all an added bonus. But good sound nutrition um, education and advice is probably um, as important as anything else. So once you've got sleep and nutrition down pat, then you can start looking at some other things. I mean, cold exposure um, for recovery, I think more often than not, people are saying it, it is beneficial, whether that's individual, um, cold versus heat. Um, by and by, I think it's individual preference. Um, but, yeah, cold exposure and sauna-based work are, are, are really handy. But, again, I think a lot of that's going to come down to um, whether the players have got the resources available to get into those sort of spaces so if you live near the coast and it's a colder climate you've got the beat um if you've got an ability to get into an ice bath somewhere or if you've got access to a sauna um they're probably the next ones and um yeah you can keep going that in terms of recovery tools around compression and um and other electrical stimulation devices but i think if you get got to get the big rocks right um in terms of sleep nutrition and go from there yeah that's awesome i know it's um always been i've been a bit ocd about you know making sure i'm getting at least eight hours and trying to stay on top of that, which, again, probably helps with staying on the field as long as I've been able to, which is cool. Um, yep. Last one from me, do you guys incorporate um, priming sessions before games? I know um, it's a bit tough for me. Like I've seen a lot of research that suggests, you know, like the morning of a game, getting a priming session in because I'm playing in like the lower grade. Um, I tend to have the early game, so I try to do it, you know, late afternoon the day before. Um, but there seems to be a lot of um, benefits to priming sessions, but I'm not sure because AFL is such a taxing sport. Is that something you guys include or incorporate at West Coast? Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not. And it's probably the biggest reason for us is that we're a travelling team. And so every second week we're on a long-haul flight. Um, more Unless it's Adelaide, we're four-plus hours in the air, um, either one or two days before the game. So we we value sleep number one. And so then if players need to sleep in um, and stay on Perth time um, the next day, we'll vary that over getting up, um, getting going with a, with, a, with a priming session to stimulate the, the nervous system and, and prep them for a game. Um, and then with home games, we try and, we, we basically try and keep routine. So every second week, if we're travelling, we'll just try and keep the same routine um, back home as well um, and not do anything too much in the morning. Um, we had the All Blacks uh, over... Two years ago now, I think, with the Bledisloe Cup in Perth, and and had them training with us for a week, and basically so they embedded themselves at the club, which was a really great learning opportunity. And they were big advocates of priming, um, and we watched a few of the sessions they were doing, which were pretty impressive and intimidating at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were huge wraps for it. And I know the rugby culture has a little bit more instilled in that space, which you might be exposed to a little bit more in Sydney. But um, it's not something we've done, and I haven't heard too many. AFL clubs that that do do it, but yeah, it might be out, it might be out there. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, it's the sort of thing like I never really thought about the travel, especially for you guys. Kind of the furthest we're sort of travelling for a game each week is an hour, hour and a half at the absolute most. So um, that might not be as much of an issue. Do you think it's something that if the travel wasn't an issue, like if it was more like a waffle based team that you're working with, that you guys would potentially um, incorporate something like that, or you still probably wouldn't? Um, yeah, yeah, possibly. Again, it um, it it might be a team by team sort of analysis on what works. So, does the priming make a bigger difference for this group than the fact that we've got twelve blokes with young kids that would rather be home in the morning of a game, spending the time with their families, and they're in a better psychological state getting to the game because they've had a happy morning. Um, maybe they're not as physically prepared because they haven't done the priming session, but their readiness to play uh, might be just as good um, versus a, a younger team who, yeah, would could respond really well to it. I probably haven't looked at it enough, to be honest, to, to, to look at the real physiological benefits of it and to work out whether it would um, supersede any of the other variables. Yeah, no, awesome. awesome. That's been incredible. Thank you so much for, for your time and going so in-depth with all the answers. No, that's true. Awesome questions, Troy. Thanks for jumping on again, mate. We'll, we'll speak soon. Sounds good. Thanks, mate. Catch up. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Steve. Really appreciate it. Um, for those that are watching as well that are interested in the Academy, uh, head click the link in our Instagram bio for some more information.
Um, but we'll start to wrap it up, mate. Thanks so much for sharing the last 60 minutes with us um, and, uh, yeah, being open and honest all the way through from how you approached it early days when you're studying and travelling to Perth, um, but also all the experiences you've had up until um, now and, and how you go about um, upskilling yourself as well. It's been super valuable for myself and I'm sure everyone that's listened in. Uh, last question, what, what are you excited about for, for 2021? What's on the horizon for you? Um, well, the season's wrapping up um, pretty quickly, hopefully not, not sooner rather than, than, than later, um, the team in a bit of a precarious position. Um, but I think from, I'm looking forward to, uh, with, with the industry, the way it's going. I think um, it's in a really interesting space with the, the AFLPA and how much time off the players are going to have and then mm. the overflow of how much time we're going to have to prepare them. Um, and I think what, what COVID's shown is uh, the shortened pre-season is going to bring different challenges. So I think the clubs that are going to be the most innovative to work out ways to get athletes prepared um, to, to battle is going to be really interesting. And then it's can you prepare them to survive the rigours of the season? Because um, if that's going to become the new norm, yeah, it's going to bring a whole raft of challenges. And um and then even on top of that, how we manage them in the off-season if we're not going to have a lot of exposure to them. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's going to be an interesting, interesting time, I think. Yeah, there's a few whispers, isn't there, of um, extended time time off and pre-season starting in January um, and then potentially maybe the, the culture shifting in the off-season like the American model where you start having your own prep team and, and these sort of things. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, well, time will tell. Um, yeah. It's good, good to have things in this climate anyway to be excited for. So Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, definitely. Uh, that's, a, that's a nice positive uh, light to, to wrap it up with. But, yeah, thanks so much for jumping on again, Steve. It's been great. Uh, we had a good chat in the gym, but uh, it's even better to dive in and go a little bit deeper about your story, mate. So um, thanks a lot. No worries, mate. Anytime. Awesome. All the best for the rest of the season as well. Yeah, thanks very much, mate. Hopefully everyone in, uh, in Melbourne is uh, back outside soon. Fingers crossed. <laughs> we can, <laughs> thanks, we can follow the Perth... The Perth uh, success route yeah a little bit of that at the moment yeah that's right <laughs> thanks mate awesome mate catch up bye all right troy we'll we'll uh what were your big takeaways from that mate did you take some notes yeah um i've actually reached out so i mentioned to you before being part of the tg sitting and ben um and in trying to look through the network um to see if there was anyone that's incorporated anything in afl because it's more american based but there's a lot of like rugby league trainers out here that so actually came across um steve early on and all the stuff that he was sort of posting and commenting on was really really cool so um i've been to see how he's implemented it with um west coast so it's really cool seeing a lot of the body weight stuff the gymnastics load of mobility and a lot of the, the um sort of big beliefs that i have um that i want to incorporate yeah. with my club it's really cool to see that he's doing that That's sort of stuff and find really good results uh, like i found a lot of his psychological stuff really important so when i was talking about the pricing so he was saying you know if a guy's got a young family like is he better off spending time with them or is he better come to the gym early to to get a session in and i think for me like not having kids and stuff like that it's something that's never really crossed my mind i'm always you know probably selfish and thinking what can i do to be i can for game day um but actually like having that mindset of thinking about you know, what a player the young family might be going through or, you know, what other people that, you know, would rather spend time with friends or have different ways of sort of getting themselves ready. He, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he dives, into, dives into the psychology sort of stuff really well, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That stood out for me as well. Um, you can tell he he has a very deliberate approach and um, and he, you can see the experience um, that is sort of in the, you know, um, helps his decision making and his philosophy I think um, being from that player first and experiencing his methods he's got to feel it first before before um, putting it putting the players through it was was a value that kept popping up um, which was really cool to see and, and I agree it's um it's not something you hear about all the time people uh, having the courage to try different things and, and go outside of the grain but um, it's certainly something I noticed with my brief first chat with him that he was doing and um, uh, hats off to him. I think the courage to do that and get it, and then back it up with great results um, is awesome. And, and something probably now, like we mentioned there, that last chat off seasons are going to get shorter. So that people like that that do get a little bit creative and, and are constantly learning and finding new ways to to experiment and 
um, rather than just doing the same old stuff uh, are probably going to prosper. Um, yeah, so, no, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, the courage, the courage to do something that isn't back. So I'd imagine all this stuff with Edo Portal, you know, there wouldn't mm. have been a ton of like research. There wouldn't have been a ton of papers that would suggest this is best practice. And I think um, that's sort of what I'm trying to incorporate is a lot of those stuff, uh, a lot of those things that I found good results uh, in myself. I feel so much better doing them. You know, I don't have the research to sort of back it up because it, it doesn't exist yet. But just because the research doesn't exist doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. So um, for someone in that sort of position where, you know, I'd imagine it's it's quite cutthroat because there'd be so many people wanting a job like that, especially with West Coast, um, for him to take a risk, try something he's had, had success with, it's huge. It's it's awesome. And it's, um, yeah, it's a pretty cool feeling for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the other big takeaway for me was how much he – Put um, value on on time and and not rushing into um, into progressed roles, but just doing a really good job with the role that's in front of you that you're currently doing. I think that's a really good message. Um, and I, I know I was really eager a few years ago to, to climb the ladder and, and get the next job all the time. And you can get a little bit distracted and spend too much energy on the future. Where if you you um, you focus on more of the now and the role that you're currently doing and doing your best job there, it's definitely going to set you up. So that was, that was a good message coming from him. And um, he definitely, you could tell with the, with the questions that you had, he could easily change his, adapt his philosophy and apply it to different models, whether due to time. So um, it, it goes to show it helps, helps you when you've worked from sort of, I guess, from the bottom all the way up to the elite. So, which is motivating for, I imagine for someone like yourself that wants to work in elite sport um, yeah, absolutely. Make the experience you're doing now, um, you know, it gives you motivation to to give it a good crack and and take risks as well. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um that one that one was incredible. I've been a big fan of him for a while. So, um, yeah, getting the opportunity to actually speak to him was really cool. And yeah, I love what he does. And hopefully, there's more people like him in, in moving forward. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny how you you've jumped on the academy and you did it so quickly, and it sounded like. It was the right place for the right time because you, you wanted Lockie and Jess Spenlove, and then I had no idea that you, you knew of Steve Gravana's work as well. That's uh, uncanny, mate. It's um, it's incredible. Like you threw one of Lockie's like when you um, mm. saw Black Lockie really sort of bumping you and found your age. I was like, this is exactly what I like. This sounds awesome. And when you mentioned I'm like twenty dollars a month, and I'm getting to speak and send emails, and you don't hear back. Like, there's no hard feelings in that. Like, they're busy people. I'm sure they get it you know so much but you know having or getting to go through you and you know you having these sort of connections and getting to speak to people has been incredible for me i mean i just did much for um the strength and role yesterday and you know i've been for, um, we're getting a bit of a bad reception at the moment is that joy can you hear, hear me oh yeah i think the reception the reception just cut out a little bit there but um no I, I, i'm i'm loving the factor on board as well mate it's it's awesome to um have you on board you, you can tell you're really hungry to learn um and you already know a lot in, as, as it is now in, in your career so it's good to see hopefully you get to apply it at that club that you've presented to and um and get that practical experience it sounds like that's where you're ready for it now and uh, your hands dirty so thank you again for jumping on tonight as well mate those questions were fantastic and another layer to to the episode and um i'll cut that up and put it off on that patreon page as well so you can review the answers if you if you miss some note taking yeah that'd be that'd be really good thank you again for, for letting me jump on of course mate good to have you on we'll um we'll speak soon sounds good mate see you later awesome try catch up if you enjoyed this episode and want even more our academy is for you the prepare like a pro academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such a QA segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be 
and then game changes, like yeah, game changes whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete yeah yeah another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the prepare like a pro live chat show here's an example with academy member rama davies the strength conditioning coach at the box hill Hawks. welcome rama to the chat uh rama has also worked at at box hill or currently he's working at box hill hawks with us awesome. so he's another box hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department so I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um do physically that um you wish you either knew or did um back at the beginning of your career uh what are some of those things Mm, yeah good question um yeah so i suppose with perspective on life um that sort of point um it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and and didn't probably have that as much um when i was younger um I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's having a hard time, um it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things Mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah, and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.